El primero de mayo. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the The Cindy Podcast. I am your host, Cindy May Jr. Follow me on what is for sure now the Elon app at The Cindy. That's T H E S A N D. Podcast is also up there at The Cindy Podcast, all one word. If you're not down with Elon, I get it. Follow me at the Zuckerberg app and the China app. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up TheSandy.com. If you're down with the YouTube visuals, subscribe, turn the bell on for notifications. If you want to get down with the YouTube visuals, link is in the podcast description. Musical production done by May First Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash Music. By the way, subscribe and rate to the podcast. Five stars, nothing less. Tell a friend. Podcast available at the Purple app and the Rogan app. Ime Adoka, how in the hell did you trick this off? Ime, it was your job, Ime. Ime, how did you trick this off? Or was it the women in the Brooklyn Nets organization that put their foot down behind the scenes and said, we don't want no Ime in here. We don't want no Ime in here trying to ruin our happy homes. We've seen his movies before on the low, allegedly. So we know how he gets it up. Who says something in Brooklyn? How many of them said something in Brooklyn? Ime Adoka is supposed to be the coach of the Brooklyn Nets right now. Jacques Vaughn was not supposed to be coaching against the Knicks last night. Wow. Ime Adoka was supposed to be the Brooklyn Nets head coach. They moved stealthily behind the scenes. Call it tampering, call it collusion, whatever you want to do. But we know that there was communication between not only Brooklyn and Ime Adoka, but Brooklyn and the Boston Celtics. Because clearly there has to be some sort of thing worked out to where, hey, y'all suspended him, right? Yeah, we did. All right, so if we can work out something, oh, yeah, if you can work out something, we will gladly get him up out the paint. Like, we got no issues. We don't even want compensation for something, like, for real, for real. All right, cool. So we're going to go holler at Yeah, yeah, go holler at his agent. And yeah, if y'all can make that work. I know he's worked there before. So, you know, if, if that's your man's, if you want to give your man's a second or third chance, go ahead. Because he's not walking back up in here. He's not welcome at TD. Clearly, that's the type of conversations that are going on behind the scenes where both sides are communicating. And then the Brooklyn side is communicating with uh, Ime Odoka's people. And they made this work. Because the minute that Steve Nash got fired, People who don't even have connects were able to put two and two together and realize, oh, the Nets are going for Ime. The Nets are going for Ime, and Ime is going to pull up to Barclays. Ime is going to be the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And from what I was told, it was more or less a done deal. It was just a matter of paperwork. But then something happened. What was that something? Who said something to stop Ime Udoka from becoming the Brooklyn Nets head coach? Was it someone who was there before? Was it someone who was there while Ime was there? Was it someone who was there while Ime was there and may know all too well the allegations coming out of Boston? Allegedly, there's a lot of things going on. You even saw some reports that came down the timeline where they were saying how there are women within the Brooklyn Nets organization who have made overtures to the Nets front office that they're not in favor 
of Ime Udoka becoming, or they're concerned about Ime Udoka becoming the Brooklyn Nets head coach. And that's something to me where it's like, oh boy, that T about to come out. Ime fall back. Maybe Ime decide to fall back. Maybe Ime once Brooklyn said, hey, bruh, you did some stuff while you was over here? Because there's women here that are not happy at the prospect of you pulling up. Maybe Ime forgot, like, oh, Oh, yeah, I kind of ran through that organization, too. Let me, you know what? Let me just go ahead and sit down this whole this whole season and try to spin the block next offseason because that's the only thing I could imagine because it makes all the basketball sense in the world to have a coach the caliber of Ime Odoka who showed us in just one year in Boston that he is more than credible to lead a team. So the fact that he's not the Brooklyn Nets head coach, the fact that they had to pivot away from Ime Adoka and just go with Jacques Vaughn and just take the interim title off of Jacques Vaughn and just give him the gig, that tells me there was more stuff in the tuck. Ime Adoka has more tea in the tuck, whether it's going to be more stuff from Boston, because maybe Boston, and this is something I saw a lot, maybe there was going to be even more stuff, because now if he's free and clear, it was probably going to be bad. It was probably going to be bad for Ime Adoka. All that, all that Celtic team was going to come out and if there was any net tee to coincide with that, how the hell, if you're the Brooklyn Nets, do you now justify the hiring of a guy that was not only horny in one place, but it was also horny in your place and you either didn't know about it or you ignored it. So he's in a lose-lose type of situation here. The Nets were also in a lose-lose because with Dan, if they do, Dan, if they don't, if they would have let Steve Nash continuing to be the coach of this team, this team was probably going to be a lottery team. I mean, they still may be a lottery team, but... With Shock Vaughn, they have, have at least looked more competent. I will say that it's been a smoother transition in terms of a offensive flow with Jacques Vaughn at the helm than Steve Nash. So at least the Nets have that going for them. And they beat the Knicks last night. But I mean, any team with decent talent can beat the Knicks. And that's a stat that's amazing to me because going in the last night, the Knicks were undefeated against teams that were under 500 and have not won a game against teams that are over 500. And that is the meniscus tearing taskmaster Tom Thibodeau in a nutshell. So at least that streak came to an end because the Knicks now have lost to a team that is under 500. So I mean, look man, the Brooklyn Nets are an enigma. And normally I reserve that enigma line for Kyrie and I'm not going to go too deep pause into all the Kyrie stuff, but I will say this. In one of Joe Side's many statements on this whole Kyrie stuff, he said something that to me was very troubling. He said something to me that like really bothered me. And it bothered me not so from a human standpoint, but just from a audacity standpoint. Joe Side said that Kyrie Irving is unfit to be a net. And I want to know what the hell is a Brooklyn net? How is anyone unfit to be a Brooklyn Net? Not even talking about Kyrie. Not even putting Kyrie in this equation, right? Because, look, I'm not going to sit here and go crazy on Kyrie. There's plenty of blue-check boys and girls that get paid a lot of money to talk bad about people that look like Kyrie that are taking care of that. Think about the Brooklyn Nets. So just take, take out the Brooklyn Think about the Nets in general. If you're a hardcore basketball fan, then you know about the ABA days and the success they had way back in the day when the Doc still had a humongous throw and was jumping from the free throw line, right? Cool. Post that from the 80s on, so that's about 40, 40 plus years. From the 80s on, the Nets have been known to be nothing but mid or lower. That's it. So this whole notion of Kyrie Irving is unfit to be a net. 
the fuck is a net, bro? Because y'all haven't done shit in my entire existence. My entire life, y'all have done nothing. I defy your 80s, baby, to let me know what the Nets have done from a success standpoint. Their biggest success is stealing land from the people of Brooklyn and putting up high-rise buildings at a way overpriced and forcing low-income people, thanks, Hove, to move out. That's the only thing that the Nets have done from a success standpoint, if you want to consider that a success. It's a, sex for, it's a success for them and their business model. What happened to the Russian? The Russian, that was a success, right? The way that he scammed Hove and the rest of them into allowing them to come buy up the rail yards and get this real estate deal off. Because that's all it is when you're really trying to buy a team. When you're trying to buy a team, it's, yes, a team. Like you're owning a franchise that rarely, if ever, has no return on, on investment. But it's also a real estate play because you're getting the arena. You're getting the surrounding grounds and stuff like that, right? So that's a win. That's a success. But in terms of on-court success, where has it been? So this whole notion of what does it mean to, like, he, Kyrie Irving is unfit to be a net. the fuck does it mean to be a net? I'm serious. What does it mean to be a Brooklyn net? Or just a net in general? If anything, you could say this franchise has been cursed. This, that franchise has been cursed. During my lifetime, you can make a strong argument that the Nets franchise has been cursed. You have the death of Drazen Petrovic. You have the failures of Kenny Anderson in D.C., Derek Coleman. You have what happened with that net Celtics trade all them years ago with Paul DeFraud, Pierce, KG, Joe Johnson, all of them pulling up the hoop with Deron Williams and Brooke Lopez with Jason Kidd as a head coach. And speaking of Jason Kidd as a head coach, do we need to talk about the domestic violence charges? Allegedly. It's just the Internet search away. I'll let you figure out which, which one you're going to use. But Doug Doug Go is my friend. But. If when it comes right down to it, there is clear signs, clear signs of how things have happened in this. Oh, wait, hold up. Jason Williams. Do y'all remember that? He killed his limo driver. That's a thing that happened. He's a net. Is he fit to be a net? Josiah is Jason Williams who had to go to prison for 18 months. Is he fit to be a net too? So Jason Williams is fit to be a net, but not Kyrie. Jason Kidd, domestic violence, allegedly threw that water on himself as a coach. He's fit to be a net, but not Kyrie Irving. What are we talking about? Like, what is Joe Sy really thinking he's trying to get off? Like, I understand he wants to be, he wants to double, triple, and quadruple down on Kyrie Irving because, one, he's in Brooklyn. And the group that Kyrie Irving offended, Yeah. Okay, so we understand that. But in regards to this, this grandstanding that Josiah is clearly doing, he's been trying to get this off for a while. And I've talked about this in prior episodes where he's been trying to talk tough. Once he gave up the power, he, one day brought in uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, once he gave up that power about three years ago, he's been trying to scratch and claw to get that power back ever since. Because he's realized, wait, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the owner. Why am I giving up all control to the players? Why am I letting the players run everything? And I'm sure the other owners have been in his ear. I'm sure the commissioner, Adam Silver, has been in his ear like, yo, bro, you need to get your shit right. You need to right the ship. And Joe Sy has been trying to scratch and claw to get back some of that power ever since because he let KD and Kyrie get Kenny Atkinson up out of here and bring in their own coach. 
and Steve Nash, although they're now trying to allege that that wasn't really the move. Like, yeah, no, nah, it was. Y'all, y'all vouch for him. Y'all vouch for him. Whether it was Kyrie and his relationship with him or whether it was KD and his relationship with Steve Nash, one of the two of y'all vouch for him. So y'all, y'all got to eat that L and admit that y'all picked the wrong dude. Cool. So they have had power over the organization. They brought in the beard Kevin Durant's man to come hoop. Even though there was no real reason to trade for the beard, they still did it because that was Kevin Durant's man. So they have given up control to their star players. And Joe Sy has learned very quickly that you can't be seen as a real owner. You can't be seen as a real top flight organization if you're just going to hand over the keys to guys that you're not even sure really know what they're doing in terms of running an organization from the player standpoint. So Joe Sy has been trying to grandstand for a minute. I just think saying that Kyrie Irving is unfit to be a Brooklyn net or a net in general is way to hell too far. We go from one interim head coach in Jacques Vaughn, who is now the permanent head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, to another interim coach turned permanent. No, Jim Irsay just said, give the job to Jeff Saturday. That's all he did. He just said, I, I know who I want. Fucking interim coach. I'm just going to go ahead and give it to my man's Jeff Saturday. So that's what happened. Frank Reich is up out the paint. Jeff Saturday in no interim head coach Jeff Saturday here is your gig it is your job sir and while I can jump to the race thing and certainly plenty of people have the timeline went crazy the text and the DMs went crazy for people asking my opinion on it just assuming I would take the race bait but I actually just think this is more about Jim Irsay Jim Irsay who now if we really want to peel back these layers remember I talked about a few pods ago when he was like really trying to press Daniel Snyder It was under the impression that the owners got together and said, all right, who has a type of Teflon, the gumption, who has that type of aura to go out there and say the thing? Much like my motto is, I say the things your favorites can't and won't say. It's the same thing with the owners. Who's going to be the owner to say the thing that we normally can't or won't say? Jim Mercy is that guy. And now with the way that he's moving with Jeff, with Jeff Saturday, it's more likely that he just did that on his own. Like Jeff Saturday, with no coaching experience in the professional, the college ranks, and only in the high school ranks when he was coaching his own son, the fact that Jim Ursay could be 10 toes down in defending that decision because he is the owner of the team, that tells you all you need to know about Jim Ursay. So now I don't think the owners colluded or the commissioner, you know, tried to goad Jim Irsay into stepping on that limb and calling Daniel Snyder's bluff. I think Jim Irsay is trying to establish himself like, yeah, I'm on that Jerry Jones level. I'm on that Bob Kraft level. Y'all sleeping on me. You know, I'm the same dude that was out here caught drunk, intoxicated off pills with a suitcase full of cash, a briefcase full of cash in my whip and got pulled over. And I survived that. That's what Jim Mercer is about. He said, I survived that. Now, not in the sense of if that was me that got pulled over with pills and a suitcase, briefcase full of cash, not surviving that police experience, but surviving in the fact that they didn't take my team away. I got no punishment. I got little to no discipline for being intoxicated, representing the shield. Where we've seen Calvin Ridley get suspended just for placing a bet He's been banished from a team, got traded while suspended just for placing a bet. We have a whole ass owner caught in a car with pills and bread in a briefcase. Nothing happened. 
So Jim Ursay is letting us know that he is on that Jerry Jones, Bob Kraft level. He is not a mid-tier owner. He is top tier and he's so top tier that he's going to step out on this limb and hire his mans, Jeff Saturday, and with no coaching experience and make him the head coach of a team that was expected to be something this year. Now, not necessarily a contender for a Super Bowl, but expected to do something, to be in the mix, at least win their division. They were the overwhelming favorite, according to sportsbooks, to win their division. Now they look like a team that's going to be vying for a top five pick. And that's where you can't really sell me on the race part of it, right? They've been inept for a while. Now, I can go to the race card in some aspects. Frank Reich had to fire his uh, offensive coordinator, who was a young black man. So we can make that case because normally when you do the interim head coach thing, when the head coach is fired, you normally make someone, someone that's already on the staff, someone that players are familiar with, someone that the other coaches are familiar with. You normally just promote that person to hold it down, get us through the rest of the season. We got, we're halfway through, get us to the rest of the half of the season, and then we'll really figure out who we want, whether it's you if you show improve, or whether we move on to someone else and flip the whole strip over, right? They didn't do that here. So they fired the offensive coordinator, they fired some other coaches, and then it was just basically like, it's just Frank Reich. He's the last one left. Because if we don't fire him, that means we gotta fire the GM. And if you fire the GM and bring in the new GM, you're essentially firing the head coach anyway. So either way, Frank Reich was gone, whether it's gonna be now or after the season. The thing is, how is Chris Ballard ducking all this smoke? How is he ducking all this? This is the guy that wasn't he former executive of the year or some nonsense like that? Like he's been held in high regard for things I don't know. I've talked about here on this pod of how they just keep recycling these washed QBs, whether it was this year with Matt Ryan, the year before with Carson Wentz, and the year even before that with Phillip Rivers. The Colts have been mid this entire time because they've never had a look. Andrew Luck left them for dead. That, that's, that's without a shadow of a doubt. Can't dispute that. But they haven't been able to figure anything out from the QB position since then. They just had had three straight years of stopgap measures. That's not how you win in this league. You can maybe get away with that for a year, maybe two. But to do it three years in a row with a clearly washed, Matt Ryan's been washed for at least three years, with a clearly washed Matt Ryan, when you have a young back in Jonathan Taylor, when you thought you had a good offensive line held by, who was it, Quentin Nelson, who was a pro bowler not that long ago and was thought to be all pro not that long ago, now all of a sudden this O-line is trash, allegedly? I don't know what's going on in Indianapolis. But when it comes right down to it, we could play the race card in regards to, oh, well, they fired the uh, offensive coordinator who just happened to be black, and we know what's going on, we know what's going on with the Brian Flores lawsuit. We know how that's pending. We know how people are collecting evidence everywhere they go. Steve Wilkes down there in Carolina is making sure he makes the most of his second opportunity. Again, another interim head coach type thing. That's usually what happens with black coaches. If they do get the opportunity, it's because they're a coordinator on a staff and the head coach gets let go. So then he's kind of just throw the black guy a bone. That's normally how that goes. But in this case, there's two coaches that are white that have humongous NFL coaching experience from assistant level, coordinator level, and head coaching level who also got bypassed by Jeff Saturday. So this can't be about that. Gus Bradley and John Fox are on this Colt staff. 
So it can't be purely about race. Now, low-key, it could be in an indirect way because Jeff Saturday clearly is homies with Jim Irsay. And that's something we talk about a lot where the problem why it's institutional, the problem why it's systemic is the fact that the owners or the people that are in charge, the people with the hiring power, hire those that they feel comfortable around and that also low-key look like them. You can look at the statistics and no matter what part of the world you're in, the hiring practices are normally following along those lines. So when you have a sport like the NFL, which is 70 plus percent black, if not higher, and then you have a coaching staff, which is under 10% black, and this is including assistants, under 10% black for a league that has over 70% of its workforce from an employee standpoint, from a player standpoint, being black, it's hard to justify that that's not happening at the upper level in the hiring ranks of organizations, front offices, training staff, so on and so forth. But in this case, it's literally just Jeff Saturday is in really good with Jim Mercy. That's all I got on it. I can't really give you too much in regards to race because Gus Bradley, who was a head coach in Jacksonville, and I believe he was a coordinator in a few other places. And then we got John Fox, who coached a Super Bowl. So, okay, so he's reached almost the highest peak of peaks. He didn't win a Super Bowl, but he coached a team all the way to a Super Bowl. I mean, so there's a lot going on there. So we can't just throw the race card out here. Trust me, I, was, I, was, I had it locked and loaded like it was the big joker. I had the big joker ready to come over the top, but I couldn't go like, well, Gus Bradley and John Fox are there. And plus Jim Ursay is trying to show that he's one of those. He's a Bob Kraft. He's a Jerry Jones. He's one of those. Jumping from high school to coaching in the NFL is going to be ridiculously hard. I don't care like the type of enthusiasm he brings and the charisma, all that shit to me doesn't mean anything because at, at the end of the day, you have to be able to coach and scheme up and then motivate those players to execute that scheme. And just Saturday as a lineman, you think you would think he knows, all right, we're going to run the ball, stop the run. That's how, that's how he's going to predicate themselves. That's how he's going to predicate. I believe his offensive philosophy around, right? Here's the problem with Jonathan Taylor in and out of the lineup with an offensive line that was thought to be great on the verge of being dominant not that long ago, two, three years ago. And the QB position that is definitely unsettled, the humongous question mark. How can you bring anything from that high school level to this type of level? What are you going to draw from? You, you can draw from your playing experiences. And he credits Jim Caldwell, who I also talked about here on the pod recently. He credits Jim Caldwell with, you know, learning a lot just by watching him and learning under him and playing for him. Could Jeff Saturday be the smokescreen to bring Jim Caldwell back? I mean, because how else can Jim Caldwell get a job? Clearly, he can't get a job. Clearly. I ran down what his record was in Detroit, and he hasn't gotten a sniff of a job outside of a couple of uh, token interviews since then. Maybe this is how Jim Caldwell gets back in the mix. I mean, Jeff Saturday is going to need an OC. He's going to need an OC, right? If this is his gig, right? Assuming going forward, this is his gig. And Jim Irsay has clearly, you know, stated as such in his crazy press conference during a Monday Night Football game. If Jeff Saturday brings on Jim Caldwell, if you're Jeff Saturday, is the plan to make Jim Caldwell the coach in waiting? I mean, he's already done it once. Jim Caldwell was the coach in waiting, was named the coach in waiting when he was under Tony Dungy. 
Is this the level we have to go to? Is this the type of collusion we need to do to get Jim Caldwell a gig? I, this, this is weird. This is weird because I'm trying to figure out, besides just the fact of Jim Mercy just wanted to hire a guy that he's comfortable with, that he's cool with, that he has enjoyed prior success with, I'm really trying to navigate why, why would you hire someone with absolutely no coaching experience? And again, it's not even, not at the professional level, not even as an assistant, as anything. This is just bringing a dude off the couch and saying, hey, run my team. But because Jim Ursay is the owner and he's had this team handed down to him from his pops, you can't really regulate these owners like that. That's why you have the problematic owners like we have in Daniel Snyder. You have the problematic owners like we have in Robert Sarver in the NBA. And I can keep going, but then this pile will end up being three hours in terms of just bad owners. But that's why you really can't do too much as a fan. And again, fandom's a mental illness. Don't ever forget that. But that's why as a fan, it, it was hard for me. As a former fan, it was hard for me to really buy into an organization when you know the owners are inept. They're corrupt. They're inept. They're normally not that good at what they're supposed to be doing. They've made their money in other avenues or something's been passed down to them. They haven't really shown the acumen to know what they're supposed to be doing. They've just been handed something or they just spent a shit ton of money to acquire something. And now it's their new toy. It's like buying another Maybach, buying another Bentley, buying a PJ. This is just another thing for someone who's wealthy. So it's hard to invest into a team when you know you have absolutely no control over what's happening with that team that you want to be a, su a supporter of. So Jim Ursay is out here fresh off bullying Daniel Snyder, fresh off empowering Chris Ballard to go out there and get three straight years of watch QBs to replace Andrew Luck, who left y'all for dead and retired early. Fresh off getting caught with pills and a briefcase full of money while you were intoxicated. Fresh off all of that. And I'm supposed to believe that you know how to, you know how to make a competent decision in hiring a man with no professional coaching experience, no college experience. His only coaching experience is coaching his own son in high school. I'm supposed to believe as a Colts fan that that's who I'm supposed to put my faith in. He has a justifiable track record to earn my fandom. If I'm a Colts fan, I don't know how you stay a Colts fan. If you just want to be nostalgic and relive the Jeff Saturday, you know, days in terms of I'm sure Peyton will pull up now, make an appearance, make a cameo. Like I'm sure all those old Colts will spit in the block and support their guy. And Reggie Wayne has already been jumping out the window. I just don't understand if you're a Colts fan, how you could buy into this because you have now no clue what this franchise is going to look like, not just the end of this season, but for at least the next two to three years. The trade deadline came and went, and the Packers did not upgrade at the one position that everyone in their mama knows that they needed to. So now they're trying to leak to the streets that, hey, we were in on Darren Waller. We tried to get, we were close to getting Darren Waller. We were close to getting Chase Claypool. And the bottom line is, one, Darren Waller has been hurt. So I don't know why you're trading for damaged goods and trying to spin that. Darren Waller hasn't played in like three weeks. So why don't you trade for an injured tight end slash receiver? Okay, whatever. But the Chase Claypool thing, the Pittsburgh Steelers thought more of the Bears' second-round pick than they thought of yours. That would make more sense because it's just business. I don't think it's like a thing of, oh, the Steelers chose. Well, no, actually it is. 
the Steelers chose the Bears' second-round pick over your second-round pick because the Steelers think the Bears are going to be more basura, so that pick is going to be higher than your pick because if, if the Packers did have a wide receiver like a Chase Claypool, we would assume that that would right the ship, that they would now show semblances of looking like the Packers team of the last few years where Rodgers has been winning MVPs left and right. So, yes, Green Bay, you didn't get screwed. It was just business. It was business because the Steelers know, even if we give Justin Fields and the Bears Chase Claypool, they're still going to take a lot of L's out here, especially with the Bears selling off Robert Quinn, selling off Roquan Smith. It is fair game around the league to know that the Bears clearly don't know what they're doing. But if we're going to talk about Chase Claypool, and the Packers are still a wide receiver away, and Odell says he's spinning the block in December, but he's definitely not spinning the block in Green Bay. We can already see that. He keeps listing his four teams, and yeah, good luck with that. So, Chase Claypool. Flipping a guy like that for a second-round pick, the Chicago Bears are trying to figure out if they have a quarterback. They've been a QB away my entire life. They've been a QB away. Even when they had... Jim McMahon, the punky QB, they were still a quarterback away. Even when they had Rex Grossman, they were a quarterback away. Even when they had Jay Cutler, they were still a quarterback away. The best Chicago Bears quarterback of my lifetime has been Eric Kramer. Let that sink in. Eric Kramer. You could even argue Jim Miller, but really, Eric Kramer. That's how bad it's been. Kane McDowell. I mean, stop. Ugh, horrible. Anyway, so... The Bears are trying to figure out, for once, do they have a quarterback? And Justin Fields, once they finally let him run, here's the thing. There's a dirty secret that NFL owners, NFL front offices, they don't want to admit to you. Not publicly, not privately, not in signal, nowhere. Not even in owners' meetings behind closed doors, nowhere. They don't want to admit the dirty secret. But if you pay close attention to who's in this league now, to who's about to be coming in this league very soon over the next two or three years, the dirty secret won't be such a secret no more. You ready for it? I mean, that's why you come here. I tell you the things that you're not supposed to be told. That's why you come here. Black quarterbacks are coming. I mean, we're already here. If you pay attention, Justin Fields is just the latest. Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, I'm claiming Tua. Like, they're coming. We're here. Even nasty man Deshaun Watson, we're here. And it's not the anomalies of back in the day. Warren Moon, Randall Cunningham, Dante Culpepper, Steve McNair. It's not where it's like, oh, you might have three or four, five at the most floating around the league. We're hitting double digits. Double digits. And there's more coming in the draft with C.J. Stroud. And let's not even talk about Caleb Williams down the line. Like there is going to be a bunch of them. Bryce Young as well. There's going to be a bunch of them that's coming. What's going to happen to your grandfathers, your fathers, your uncles, your older brothers, drop back quarterbacks? What's going to happen to them? They are dinosaurs. They're extinct. 
They are done. Dual threat quarterbacks are here to stay. I don't care how pretty you throw the ball. When that blitz is coming, when that pocket collapses, if your statue ass can't move, it's curtains for you in this league from here on out. As these players get bigger, stronger, faster, you can't be a statue back there and wait five, six, seven seconds for a guy to get open. The days of that nine step, seven step drop back are a wrap if you have no mobility. Joe Burrow ain't stupid. Josh Allen ain't stupid. They know what it is. They're trying to keep their jobs. They see Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray passing up baseball money to come get this NFL money. Oh, hell no. Nah. I better go run some sprints. Arch Manning ain't stupid. He ain't watching tape of Eli. He's watching tape of Cam Newton. He ain't stupid. He going to get it done. He going to make sure he's good on the goal line. He going to make sure he know how to do an RPO. Because that's what it's going to be. If you don't pose dual threat, if you are not a dual threat, you will not exist. You will not survive. These guys that we have seen, Matt Ryan, done. Tom Brady, done. These guys that can't move, Jimmy G, done. Not that he was any good to begin with, but just in the sense of that drop back, classic, throw it back, hit the hard out, done. Give a fuck about no hard out no more. Don't give a fuck about no, you need to improvise. That's what made Aaron Rodgers so great. He could improvise and have pinpoint accuracy and doesn't turn the ball over. That's what made him immortal. Now he's getting older. Now he's getting slower. Now he can't bounce around. He can't elude the pressure like he once could. Them shrooms ain't helping, dog. You should be on that TB12 on that avocado ice cream. You should be having a doctor that's not licensed to be a doctor administering meds. That's what Tom Brady's had. That's what Tom Brady has had to do to make it this long. If you're not on that type of time with no mobility, it's a wrap for you out here. So the black QBs are coming. Will the league ever admit it? Can you imagine the marketing campaigns where it's Lamar Jackson on one side and Caleb Williams on the other. Bryce Young on one side, Jalen Hurts on the other. We can keep going on and on and on, and that's the beautiful thing about it because we couldn't, used to, we weren't able to do that. It was McNabb Culpepper, Vic McNair, Cunningham Moon, and that was it, more or less. Now you could run down a whole card. You could have a whole red zone one o'clock window of just black QBs starting. You can do an octo box of black QB starting very soon. It's time to have the LeBron James conversation. A lot of blame has been placed at Russi, Rob Palenka, Jeannie Buss, even Darvin Ham, even though he just got there. Anthony Davis has been called street clothes. He's been disrespected up and down the timeline. The only thing I've heard about LeBron is, oh, he's washed. And while washed is one thing, saying he's washed is one thing. I mean, after 20 years being washed, you know, the hyperbaric chamber can only do so much, right? Although, don't be surprised if he takes another sabbatical down to Miami and, well, you know. <laughs> That's another pod for another day. But 
when it comes right down to it, I think it's time for you to place blame at the king. And this is not to get clicks. This is not to get views. This is not to get any of that stuff. I have talked about Old Man Braun. That was the name of a podcast episode, I believe, last season. So I've been on this type of time. It's time for him to come on home. And I'm not talking about his hairline. It's time for him to come on home and admit that this Laker thing is a failure. There comes a point in time where either, okay, he needs to admit one of two things. Admit that this Laker thing has been a failure and it really had nothing to do with basketball in the first place. Or he's just trying to catch Kareem. Because he's clearly just point chasing at this point. It's not about wins. You know, if you're looking at the blame, if you're still a top player in this game, and we know he's not the best player in the world no more. He's looking like Jordan on the Wizards right now. He really is. And while the numbers are there, and the numbers are cute, even though Anthony Davis has better numbers than him in every stat that matters, but no one wants to talk about that because we keep talking about Anthony Davis' street clothes, He's missed the same amount of games as LeBron this year, one, but he's street close though, right? He has a better shooting percentage from three and from two, more boards, more blocks. I mean, look, whatever. So, but it's always AD's fault. No matter what AD does, it's always his fault because he should be doing more. It's hard to do more when you have a guy that's clearly stat chasing and point chasing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That's just the fact of the matter. Anthony Davis can't be the guy on this team. He can't be the lead dog in this team because LeBron has never given up the reins to anyone. When has LeBron ever given up the reins? Don't tell me Cleveland because that's why even though they won a championship, Kyrie wanted to get his ass up out of Cleveland because LeBron was still trying to baby bro him, trying to little bro him. Don't tell me Miami because Chris Bosh was a shell of his former self as a player offensively from playing with LeBron. You can't be who you were at your peak when you're playing next to LeBron James. And as much as we give him credit for being this facilitator, this team first guy, you can't be on the cusp of breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record without going nut. I'm sorry. I don't care. Facilitator, yes. Great pass man, assist, team first guy, yes. But also, he goes to get his. Like, we need to stop playing and acting like LeBron is such an unselfish guy when clearly you're on the cusp of breaking Kareem, breaking Kareem's record, dog. And it's okay if he is chasing Kareem, but let it be known. Let the front office know. Let the Laker fan base know. Like, because the fact that you're trying to sell this illusion of, well, we could turn this around, we could still win a championship, my goal is to win here in LA. I mean, bruh. You got that bubble chip off, and it's been trash. It's been Basura before that bubble chip and after that bubble chip. So why are you playing these games? Why give this mirage? Why continuously spin this narrative that you're trying to win? You're trying to win the GOAT conversation. That's the only thing you're trying to win. You think you've already passed Jordan in your head, and you have a whole 30 and under fan base that believes it. Now you're trying to win the 30 and up crowd by saying, well, I got more points than Kareem. Now that don't mean shit to the 30 and up crowd, just so you know. But like, cool story, bro. Like getting more points than Kareem is cool. But that just means you stuck around way too long because they said that about Kareem. 
All the dudes that score that many points, you got to hang around hella long, bruh, and be selfish hella long, bruh. And that's something that hasn't been attributed to LeBron throughout his career. But now it's clearly that LeBron is just out here point chasing. He wants to get this record and he wants to get this record wearing a Laker jersey. But if I'm Palenka, if I'm Genie, now Rich Paul will never go for it and he will fight to the death to make sure that this doesn't happen. But the last time I checked, Rob Palenka is the GM and Genie Buss is the owner. Not Rich Paul, even though he is in the shadows. They should move on from LeBron. It's time. They should move on from LeBron. Now, it won't happen, but they should. Because how can you get better with the way they're currently working? How can things get better where next year you're looking at it where they have LeBron and AD and nobody else outside of these rookies on the, on the payroll? You have no first-round picks. You are trying to trade what few first-round picks you have left to get rid of Russie. You have no prospects for the future. This isn't Kobe at the end where he had a bunch of youngins and he just had no time to wait for them to get better. This isn't even LeBron earlier in his Laker tenure when he had youngins and he didn't have time to wait. So we flipped all of them for Anthony Davis and got that bubble chip. This isn't even that. This is just, yo, the cupboard is so bare that there's literally no recipe for prospering in the future. There's no formula. How does this work outside of trading Anthony Davis and or LeBron James? Tell me how. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening and those who are watching on YouTube. Again, if you need the link for the YouTube page, let's run the subscribers up getting them hours up, getting that watch time up, putting out some good shorts that are getting, uh, you know, getting some good feedback, getting some good comments and stuff like that, trying to build a community on YouTube. I'm, I'm letting y'all know. Normally I pick one app and just go crazy hard at it, pause. Um, and right now, YouTube is that. So if you want to continue to support what I'm doing here, as well as listening to this pod and audio, show some support to the video portion as well, even if you just want to subscribe to the page just to help run those numbers up. Anything you could do in regards to that or sharing it, whatever, appreciate that. Um, I know the pod was a couple of days late. The gig's been kind of crazy because we're in our busy season, but I'm going to keep giving out weekly pods. Uh, lock in on the Elon app at the SamD Podcast for all updates on if there is an episode, if there's an episode, might be a couple of days late or whatever, but that Monday is looking like that's going to be the day where I can routinely drop just not able to do it this week, but in the future, looking to be every Monday. So for the Sam D Podcast, I'm the Sam D. I'm out.